The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. Good morning, everyone. I'm going to be facing myself. <laughs> um, not, not never good for a performer to watch themselves. Anyway, um, uh, my name is Concho, and uh, it's great to be here with you all this morning, um, in person, no less. The last time I gave a Dharma talk in person was on Thursday, February the 6th, 2020. And a few days before the WHO had declared an emergency about a certain virus in China. And I think Okushizu-sensei was here, Shinryu Roshi was there, Seizan was there, I think maybe one other person, and that was it. And I think that if anything came out of that uh, horrible time that came after, um, the silver lining for us, certainly, was that we have an expanded online Sangha. And uh, I know for a fact, as somebody who hosts, on Thursday evenings now, we have on average about 20, 20 people. That's not including the New York, uh, the New Paul Zen Center, which we want to give a shout out to everybody over there. And Keishan and Julia know who are here with me as well. They know that place. Um, uh, so you even have more than that, probably, probably 24 people. Um, and, you know, I want to thank John Sensei as well for just encouraging me to just chill and not worry too much about what I was going to say this morning, because I, don't, I haven't given a Dharma talk in a while. Um, I think the last time I gave a Dharma talk, my hair was blacker and I didn't wear glasses. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, worrying about, you know, having nothing to say is kind of like, uh, put it this way, um, I'm not a teacher. I'm a student like yourselves, and I'm afraid to give like wrong Zen advice, you know what I mean? Um, which is, which is a, a terribly kind of like egocentric thing to really, you know, think that I have that kind of power to, to turn you off Zen or something. I don't. So um, I've got really nothing to say at the end of the day. And I think of uh, those immortal words of John Lennon. I have nothing to say, but it's okay. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Not knowing, having nothing to say. They're kind of at the heart of our practice, really. And it's not simply a philosophy or a concept, you know, it can be if you want it to be, but it, it, it's, um, it can also be a trap. There's a koan that speaks directly to this trap. Um, it's not the one I want to talk about, but it's one I love very much in the Blue Cliff Record. And the thing about this cone, what makes it kind of different from others is the Blue Cliff Record is full of uh, students asking teachers questions, getting kind of obtuse responses, then the student responds, and then the teacher whacks up. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's, it's uh, old school chan, you know, whack, whack. Except this particular cone is quite compassionate. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to paraphrase it um, a little for you. 
um, you have this guy called Lu Xuan, he's walking with Zen Master Nan Xuan. And Lu Xuan says, you know, this other master, great master Chao, he says that the heavens and the earth and I are all one, and that the myriad things and I all have the same root. Isn't that marvelous? And Nan Xuan, he points to a flower and he says, most people today see that as a dream. Um, in a, another translation by Cleary, he says, most people see this flower as if in a dream. So we can be like Luhan, right? We can get convinced that we know that we're all one, we're all part of the same, whatever this is. But that's an idea, right? That we can get locked on to. Kind of reminds me of, I had this uh, work colleague once. He wasn't a very nice person. He used to kind of, uh, you know, stir things up, get some backbiting going in the office, gossip a lot. But I knew that he practiced Zen. For some reason, he used to tell people he practiced Zen. So when I started coming here, I went there and I said, well, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm practicing Zen. And he was like, oh yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've done that, I've done that. I said, well, well, do you do it anymore? Oh, no, 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 not anymore. I mean, I went to Japan, I studied, you know, a few times there, monasteries, etc. But once you, once you see that we're all one, you got it. You know, that's, uh, that's really it. You know, we're all part of the same thing. And I kept thinking to myself, okay, it kind of jives with how I was think of myself, but how come you're still a big a-hole? <laughs> um, it didn't really help him. So, you know, uh, if you put language aside, you can't not say anything. Just showing up today, you're saying something, even if you haven't said a word this morning. Uh, bare trees that you see in the park point to the sky. What are they saying? It's not nothing. And it's common currency in, in the fields of like anthropology and computer science. And these are things that I'm interested in. I don't really, I'm not an authority on them by any means. I'm just a sort of a podcast listener, really, at the end of the day. Um, and it's that the brain is, they say the brain is a meaning-making machine. But it's just, it's always looking for meaning. And that these meanings, they're built up over a lifetime of, you know, experience, where we build up these frameworks by which we refer, we use as a, re, a, re, a reference source to refer to the world. So we can, you know, navigate stuff. It's an evolutionary tool. And that's, that's where we get trapped, right? Um, it, it's, it's helpful, you know, it's helpful to kind of figure out, oh, what's that person going to do there? I better avoid this or whatever. But we need to sort of put that to one side when we sit. 
it's kind of like the, the finger that points at the moon, you know. We don't want to mistake the moon for the finger. Language and these kind of concepts, they're, they're signposts, really. They're not the thing itself. That's why practice is really important. Because again and again, we attempt to take, as Dogen says, that inner step back, right? And see what's going on. To look at our thoughts, like the Buddha calls our thoughts, fish out of water, stranded on the shore, thrashing and quivering. And when it comes to just practice, uh, here's a concept of mind that I use for myself and I find it helpful. I call it sandbagging, right? So you show up, you do your zazen. And sometimes it's really kind of, you know, it's not great. You know, it's just I've got to do this. Sometimes it's very nice. But either what, whatever you're doing in the background, whether you're aware of it or not, you're, you're placing sandbags across the vulnerable parts of your life, the landscape of your suffering, in a sense. You're, you're placing sandbags. So when the flood comes, which it will come, you've got some protection, right? And you don't realize it till it happens. Wow, wow, this practice really works. It's not gonna make you float like above life's troubles, but it will certainly, um, it's certainly very, very helpful. I wonder, could somebody get me some water? I'm, I'm having that uh, performance anxiety thing where my mouth, believe me, I do this every day. I drink gallons of water. I, I, I read all your books for a living, so I'm not laden and stuff down it. Um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, to go back to what I was initially saying, um, this is, this is the first time where, I, where I'm giving a Dharma talk where I'm not really worried about having anything or nothing to say. Um, showing up for practice for an hour, half an hour, five minutes. Thank you. It says, it says everything and it says nothing. Supporting the person next to you, or the people with you in other parts of the country, online, or in the world, um, says nothing, but it says everything, too. I don't think any of, any of us would be here this morning, online or in the Zendo, if we didn't feel supported by everybody else in this community. This past summer, I got a high dose of support. I um, had the privilege of revisiting the Zen precepts. Um, I kind of gate crashed the, the Jukai course and was able to study them in depth again. And if, my motivations were not all that noble. In fact, this is a new Rakasu. My old Rakasu was just dreck, it was filthy. And I wanted a new one. So this is how I got one. <laughs> I went and I studied the precepts again, which is an incredible thing to do. 
Um, they really are where the rubber meets the road when it comes to, you know, working this practice in our lives. And I'm, th I'm thinking today of the eighth precept, which is don't be stingy. Don't be stingy. Now, if I say that to you, um, you probably have your initial impressions are like Ebenezer Scrooge or not giving, you know, something to somebody on the on the subway. That's kind of like this goes back to what I was talking about um, framing. Um, if, if I was to give you all the same photograph of like a cat, it would be the same cat, right? But you all have completely different impressions of what cats do, our stories about cats or what have you. But where we all have the common ground is that we all understand that that's a cat. But, but our, our experiences of the world are completely unique. And in my case right now, my thinking is that I've I have nothing to, if, when I say that I have nothing to say to you, or worry, if I'm worried about that, that's, that's being stingy in a sense. It's like, um, uh, you know, I'm worrying that I'm not bearing the Dharma assets, sparing the, the that's another way to put that, that precept actually is, um, don't spare the Dharma assets. So showing up in a foul mood or in nervous like I am right now, that's not sparing the Dharma assets. It's just things as they are for me. So in the Blue Cliff record again, you come across adepts sometimes, masters talking to each other. And at first glance, these back and forths can seem like an obscure code, you know, that where one master is trying to out Zen the other, right? But if you, on closer examination, they're usually quite the opposite, where it's one practitioner in this really difficult life of ours, simply acknowledging the other, verifying the other, showing up, if you will. So I'm, I'm going to paraphrase another koan. You've got two masters, right? You've got Sansheng and you've got Shui Feng. And Sansheng says, I wonder. What does the golden fish who has passed through the net do for food? And Shui Feng says, when you come out of the net, I'll tell you. Sheng says, the teacher of 1500 people and you don't even know what to say. And Feng said, my affairs as abbot are many. It's complicated. So, <laughs> it's a real sucker punch. But at first glance, it looks like Sang Shen is teasing, really. And I think I played it up a bit to sound like that. Or, or there's a game of one-upmanship. One up you know, you got nothing. You got nothing to tell me, really. Nothing. You big Zen master guy. Well, Feng did say something, in fact. He said, come out of the net, and I'll tell you. But so who or what is this golden fish that has come out of the net in this instance? Is it the awakened one? Is it the enlightened person? That prized individual that gets it? Is Shang saying, well, when you're enlightened, 
What do you do then? Is that it? Is there any after? Like, you know? But the golden fish who escaped the net is you. We just celebrated Rohatsu. And it's the night we celebrate where um, the Buddha gained his enlightenment, I guess, for want of a better word. He saw the morning star and he said, how marvelous, I and all sentient beings are simultaneously awakened. This is the first thing that Buddhism says. We're all already there, if you like. Our lives are one of total and complete enlightenment, whether we see it or not. I've lost my place. Feng says, well, you know, if you get caught up in that net, those concepts about enlightenment, then you're stuck, buddy. And Cheng says, but you're supposed to know this. You're the teacher of all these people and you've got nothing to say. Or could he be recognizing that whatever Feng says is ultimately empty? But Feng, he brings everything down to just this is it. And Hiroshi quoted that Dong Shanglang in a recent gather, one of her talks about a week or two ago. Just this is it. So ask yourselves as the abbots of your life, are your affairs many and complicated? <laughs> I'd say they pretty much are, right? They're pretty complicated. And there's a lot of them. And they're complicated in ways that nobody will ever really understand. That perpetual to-do list, you know? I could see her all day, I could go on about, you know, examples of that. But when I first read that, my affairs are many and complicated, I thought, Thought of the eighth precept, not sparing the Dharma assets. Dogen says of that precept, one phrase, one verse, that is the 10,000 things and the 100 grasses, one Dharma, one realization, that is the Buddha and ancestral teachers. Therefore, from the beginning, there has been no stinginess at all. The Zen maker, Zen peacemakers put it best for me, using all the ingredients of my life. This is the precept of not being stingy. Using all the ingredients of my life. What is that? Is that like I'm a cyclist, I'm an actor, I like to go to parties sometimes, whatever, you know. No, it's just this, all the ingredients of your life are just this right now. So what I've been trying to get at in this imperfect roundabout way is that all of these ingredients of your life right now are you. 
you're being actualized right now by, by just this. Good, bad, indifferent. Our minds desperately want to categorize things in terms of what's gone before and the meanings we attach. So let's just let that go. Come back again and again to the breath. Just this. So my hope is for you, for all of you, is that you'll find in your practice the refuge of just this. Whatever that is, it says everything and it says nothing. And that's okay. Thank you all. Thank you.